12 years ago, Luke and I went on honeymoon to Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt. Here is a photo of us looking a lot younger. Do you know what? Luke still has that T-shirt and still wears it. You need to get some new clothes, Luke. Um, and when I was going through my holiday album to find a photo of us, and just for the record, it is an actual holiday album because these photos were taken on an actual film. So there wasn't like 140 selfies on there. We only had one shot, so most of them are out of focus. And there's only about two nice ones of me and Luke on our honeymoon and loads of me like this. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yes, not just one, a lot of that sort of photo. So, let's go back to the nice one. So, as part of our holiday, we decided to climb Mount Sinai, uh, which is in Cairo. And you might not know this, but Cairo is not that far away from Bethlehem. Um, it's about an hour and a half flight. So, it's in a kind of similar part of the world, and it's certainly the closest I've been to the story that we've just seen. And we did it as part of an organized trip. So uh, apparently the best time to climb Mount Sinai is the middle of the night because that's when the temperature's the lowest. So we had to get on a coach at 11 p.m. We drove for two hours and we arrived at 1 a.m. ready to start climbing. And when we got there, it was pitch black and the stars were in full view. And it struck me that these are the same stars that the Magi studied. Some scientists might be going, well, technically not the same stars, but poetically the same stars. <laughs> now, there's lots of mystery around the Magi, who they were and where they were from. Um, it's generally thought that they were Zoroastrians, which apparently is one of the world's oldest religions. So they weren't kings, as they're sometimes described. They were wise, academic, educated men who studied the stars. And there's also a bit of mystery about where they came from. So many people think that they came from Persia, which is what we know as Iran. So you can see, I'm kind of on the wrong side. I might just move. You can see from this map that, um, the, where that is in relation. So if you wanted to walk it, this is what Google Maps suggests. It's a 2,500 kilometer walk. Um, but some people think that they might have come from the kingdom of Sheba, which is what we now know as Yemen. You can see a crazy route that Google Maps suggests. <laughs> I'm sure there's more direct routes available, but that's um, three and a half thousand kilometers. And for some reason, despite the fact that they were a thousand miles away in another country, in a totally different culture, the birth of Jesus was revealed through the stars to these guys. And they set off on this extraordinary walk for two years to see the king. Now, I just want to say, I am not a walker. Like, I actually dislike country walks. And some of you might be thinking, how can she even be a Christian? <laughs> All Christians like country walks, not me. And for the record, I don't like you two either. <laughs> it's my confession. But anyway, I'm not a walker. I would literally rather do anything than walk. I'd rather cycle, I'd rather run, and I'm not a runner, I'd rather swim. So when Luke first suggested the idea of a four-hour, middle-of-the-night walk up a mountain, <laughs> didn't really fit in with my idea of a romantic honeymoon. Let's just say I took a little bit of persuading, which is code for we had an argument. 
However, once I'd agreed, we set off full of enthusiasm. We were holding hands as we walked. We had plenty of water in our backpacks. And it was a very, very spiritual place. This was the place where Moses had received the Ten Commandments. This is the place where the burning bush was seen. And there were loads and loads of people walking, all for different reasons. It felt like more of a pilgrimage. My walk at Mount Sinai is the closest thing I have to understanding the journey of the Magi. Mine took four hours, theirs took two years. It was hard, it was exhausting. There were times when I had no hope. There were times when we sat down and I thought I was never gonna get up again. I am a bit of a wimp. <laughs> Along the way, we passed many camels. This is one of those actual camels. This is like just showing you my holiday photos. <laughs> you know when you come back from holiday and nobody wants to see your photos? <laughs> Tough. <laughs> um, and so for a small price, you could jump on a camel and get a lift to the top. And it was so tempting just to get that little ride. But no, we wanted to do it on foot. We wanted to say that we had done this on foot. We wanted to tell crowds of people we had done it on foot. Um, and we went through all the emotions. We went, oh, we're excited, enthusiastic, tired, doubtful. Would we ever get there? Temptation, exhaustion, hunger, anger, fear, mostly fear of the camels, because you had to get really close to them. Their heads are like four times the size of my head. <laughs> and <laughs> the hardest thing to hold on to was hope. Was this even possible? I kept asking. And I, keep, I can't help but wonder about the journey, journey that the Magi made. My, my pilgrimage was four hours, and theirs was two years. And they, I don't think they really knew what it was that they were searching for. They knew that a king had been born, because they, they tell that to King Herod later in the story. But did they know what sort of king it really was? Not a king of a nation, but a king of humankind. Not a king who holds power, but a king who gives it away. Not a king who lives in a palace, but a king who is homeless. And the Bible is brilliant, but I wish there was more in there about the Magi, more about their journey through different countries. How did they keep going for two years? How did they keep their hope up? Did they lose hope? Did they try and turn back? Did they miss their friends and their family? Last week, um, as a family, we did a bit of thinking about Christmas, which is coming up, as you know, and um, we did it with our good friends, the Finns. I think we've got a photo. Look at them. You may be asking, how did we get all six kids to look in one direction? Very stressful, let me tell you. <laughs> Behind the scenes, me and Susie are going, stand still, smile! <laughs> anyway, as part of, um, part of what we were doing, I got the children to pretend to be wise men. So some of them made crowns and, um, uh, and I'd hidden six gold coins, six chocolate coins around the kitchen. And I put them in hard but not impossible places. So there was nothing so high that they wouldn't be able to find them. But it was definitely more difficult than when we've done this sort of thing previously. So I told the kids what I've done. They were really, really excited. How hard could this be? And they set off around the kitchen to find the gold coins. They looked in the bin, they looked in the sink, they looked in one cupboard, and then they gave up. 
They wanted a clue. They wanted me to say hotter or colder. So we regrouped. We, talk, we talked about how everyone's feeling. I reminded them that they are the wise men. They are going to have to search high and low and for a long time to find the prize. So encouraged and full of hope, they set off again, trying new cupboards, looking under things. Bella, who's seven, opened the fridge and searched in there. And she asked me, is there one in the fridge? And I said, yeah, there is actually one in there. So she carried on looking, but she questioned me regularly. Are you sure there's one in here? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely one in there. And despite my promise, doubt crept in and hope fell away. And eventually she declared, there isn't one in the fridge and gave up. And I expected one of the other children to try because this was the only clue that I'd given them. But they were discouraged by Bella and nobody else tried the fridge. We then started playing a game called Who Can Cry First? <laughs> this is great parenting, by the way. <laughs> and it was Aaron, my five-year-old. He sobbed and sobbed. He was in despair. He just wanted me to tell him where it was. Meanwhile, Morgan, who's six, was really angry. Like, he started kicking things, shoving things, declaring everything stupid. So, once again, we regrouped. We reminded each other who we are. We're the wise kings. We've got to be tough. We've got to keep going. So, they carried on going. But back to my journey at Mount Sinai. Finally, after four hours, we reached the top. It was still dark. We had about half an hour until sunrise. So we grabbed some blankets and we snuggled up next to a rock and had a little snooze. And we awoke just as the sun was rising. In fact, we very nearly missed it, but let's not think about how annoying that would have been. <laughs> and we went round an edge to see hundreds of people just sitting peacefully, calmly, quietly, watching the sunrise over Egypt. This was what we had been searching for. This once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, this snapshot, this moment. It was very emotional to sit and watch the sunrise with a man that I'd just married. And it turns out he was right. And in our search for the gold coins, there came the magical moment where someone found one. Aaron was first. Shortly followed by Ruby. Encouraged and hopeful, Bella returned to the fridge and found hers behind the jam. And Morgan and Josiah found theirs as well. The tears and anger were gone. The doubt and despair was forgotten. And everyone felt very happy and just a little bit smug as they ate their chocolate coins just before lunch. And what about the Magi? How did they feel? Two years of searching, of following a star, of crossing different countries, different cultures, sleeping in different places every night, eating what they could find, and just relying on each other for hope and encouragement. Finally, they arrived, and were not told where or when, but Jesus was no longer a newborn. He was a small child or a toddler. And we told that they entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother, Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. 
Their search was over. They had found what they had been looking for. This tiny person who was the hope of the world. Jesus came to bring hope to everyone. He came for the weak and the poor and the homeless and the sick. He came for those who feel hopeless and those in hopeless situations. But he didn't just come for those in extreme situations. He came for normal, everyday people. What are you hoping for this Christmas? Maybe you're hoping that your child will just sleep through the night. Or maybe you're hoping that your job will get better or your marriage will improve. Or maybe you're hoping you just get all your coursework done. Maybe you're hoping to make ends meet and not end up in debt. Or perhaps you have hope for someone else. We all have hopes, but when we look for hope, we find Jesus. Not necessarily the toddler in his mother's arms, but the man, the person, and the son of God. We find Jesus who walked this earth and showed compassion to people and reached out to people. We find Jesus who was so gentle and so kind and so loving. Time after time in the Bible, we see people in hopeless situations, people that can't see, people that can't walk, people that have lost a loved one, and they reach out to Jesus and he shows up. When we believe in Jesus, when we put our hope in him, it doesn't mean our lives are going to be plain sailing, wonderfully easy and never have anything go wrong. I can testify to that. When we put our hope in Jesus, the promise of hope is one that God walks with us and he meets us where we're at. Whatever's going on in your life, wherever you are at, Jesus can bring hope and light. I think all of us are searching. We're just in different places on the journey. I've been a Christian for 16 years and I'm still searching for more, more of what this means, more of who Jesus is. And like children searching for gold coins, it can take a long time. It can be full of mystery and doubt, frustration and anger, pain and hardship. Maybe like me, you've been journeying for a while. Maybe you've been coming to church every Christmas, but you still don't really know what this faith thing is all about. Maybe you've just come today because someone invited you. And maybe you're not searching for Jesus at all. Wherever you are on this journey, whatever questions you're asking, whatever things you're hoping for, let me assure you that Jesus is there to be found and he is a prize worth searching for. I'd like to finish by praying. I'm going to pray slowly and I'm going to leave space for you to repeat the words if you want to. And you can do it out loud or do it in your head. We're family here, nobody minds. So let's close our eyes. Jesus, thank you for being a prize worth searching for. Thank you for being light in the darkness. God, you bring joy to our depression. You bring healing to our sickness. You bring life to our death. I'm sorry for how easily I give up. I want to know more of you in my life. This Christmas, be my hope.
Please be with me. Amen.